0: Welcome in. We are back with another episode of the Think for podcast. I'm your co-host, Will Harib, joined, as always, by Jack Wilkie and Joe Wilkie. We have got a, a pretty, pretty cool episode lined up for you today. We've got an interview um, with Dr. Denny Petrillo uh, from the uh, Bear Valley Institute. I believe it's called over there in Denver. Uh, we're going to get to that in just a second. We're going to be talking about Bible study and, and some effective tools, some questions uh, regarding Bible study, how to do it more effectively. But before we do, before we get into that interview, we wanted to uh, give a shout out to all of those who have been, uh, rating our show on the podcast app, leaving us, um, ratings. And that is including the one-star rating that we got, um, looks like about two weeks ago or so from love underscore everyone. Gentlemen, we asked for ratings and, uh, we, we got some, this one was a one star. So, uh, just want to, again, shout out everybody that uh, left us a rating. I think the title for this one star was Everything Except Thinking Deeper. So kind of a kind of a scathing review there.
1: You know you've made it when you have haters, right? And I think I'm going to put some of this on my resume. Um, caveman <laughs> ideology, misogyny, shallow thinking. Um, love underscore everyone except the Think Deeper podcast hosts. So apparently. Can't please kind of everybody, wrong. right?
0: <laughs> no, but seriously, if you are listening, um, we'd appreciate any, any kind of review, any kind of rating. Uh, you know, we're not afraid of the criticism. If, if you think we're only worthy of a one star, go for it. But, uh, if you think we're worthy of a higher than that, we'd encourage you to leave those and, and to again, tell us how we're doing, tell us things we can work on improve on.
2: You'll just get shouted out on the podcast if you give us one star. So
0: yeah, thanks yeah, for that. exactly. Just like <laughs> we're doing now.
1: Like and we do know. want to thank the people that gave us the good no, five we truly star did, ratings yeah. that we've gotten. Um, you know, we just thought it was very, very funny that love underscore everyone really, really, not like us. So. Doesn't love Does us. That like yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> That's exactly it. That's exactly it. Uh, but no, seriously. Thank you to all those who are listening who have, who have given, uh, given us feedback. Uh, it's been really helpful. So uh, with that, we're going to go ahead and get into today's episode.
2: So this week we want to get into what is going to be the first of a series uh, that we will drop occasionally, which is interviews um, with people that are highly knowledgeable in their fields, people that we're excited about to have on the podcast. And for this first one, we are very excited to have the president of Bear Valley Bible Institute International, uh, Denny Petrillo. He is Dr. Denny Petrillo, I should say. I apologize. Um, He is a, uh, in my opinion, world-renowned Bible scholar. Jack and I went through Bear Valley. I think I'm actually, this is my 10th year out this year. Believe that or not. Um, Long time ago. I'm getting old. But... um, (laughs) No, he's, he has a master's in biblical languages, his PhD is in biblical education, and he has been the president of Bear Valley since 2004. Uh, we're excited to have him on specifically as, for a Bible study podcast because he's the best there is. He teaches exegesis here. I think that's one of the best classes I've ever taken in any of my education. Can't say enough good things about having Dr. Patrillo on this podcast. We're very excited. And with that, I'll, I'll say, how are you doing? I'm doing well. I appreciate uh, you're having me on this morning. We really appreciate you being here. Uh, we're we're very happy to have you on. And um, So for Jack and Will and I, obviously we got all three um, that, that are able to be here. I'm here in Denver recording in person, but uh, we're going to just go through a series of questions. But first, we really wanted to start with preaching school. We're going to get to the Bible study, but we wanted to, to go into something that you're presently currently doing, been doing since 2004, but we haven't spoken since COVID, since 2020 has hit. And so I'm curious, what is the current state of preaching schools right now, and, and especially due to COVID, and what do you see as the future? Has COVID changed the, the future
3: of preaching, um, and, and where are we currently at right now? Well, let me, let me answer that kind of in two parts and describe, first of all, the pre-COVID situation uh, was really not, not very good. The, uh, the climate in the church is not what it needs to be. Um, I I spoke at a, an elders retreat and there were uh, approximately 35 or 40 elders. And I asked the question, this was pre-COVID, I asked the question, how many of you have been directly involved in encouraging a young man to preach? And in my mind, I had prepared to ask the question. In my mind, I was thinking the answer was probably going to be around 50%. And I was going to say, we've really got to do better than that if uh, if we're going to meet the need uh, for preachers in the church, there wasn't a hand that went up. No not way. one. 35 elders and not a single one of them had been involved in encouraging someone to preach. And I I, I asked the question again because I was so taken back. I thought maybe I, I didn't ask the, ask the question well. And, um, and again, not a single hand went up. And wow. so I said, there is part of our problem because I know personally uh, most of those elders that were there, and they call us and say, send us a preacher. We need a preacher. And um, <clears throat> yesterday I, I talked to four different churches. They called us. We want a Bear Valley man. We, want a, we need a preacher. I talked to two men this morning, uh, even, wow. uh, two other churches. And the, the problem is the churches are not encouraging their young men uh, to preach, we've got if, if if they're showing some promise, if they you know you get the typical, you need to be a doctor, you need to be a lawyer, uh, that sort of sure. thing, and so that's that's kind of our problem. And then COVID hit, and we had uh, right now uh, Bear Valley is the second oldest preacher school in the Brotherhood. Um, Sunset in Lubbock is the oldest by a few months, and then Bear Valley second. So we've been, we've been at this since 1965. And um, we, we had a, a good number of men that were planning on coming. Then COVID hit. They couldn't get out. Uh, they couldn't interview. Churches basically internalized. Their contributions went down. A lot of them did. And um, those whose contribution didn't go down... They were less likely to, to want to take on anything new, and so, you know, out of the, the 20 men that were planning on coming, it just plummeted to about half, and the you, the those that we got were because of scholarships that we were able to get, and and so it, um, it has really impacted the uh, enrollment, and I, I stay in touch with all of the other directors of the other preacher schools, and how are you guys doing? Are you having some of the same problems? And uh, it's pretty much across the board. Uh, COVID has impacted us. Uh, churches are not jumping back on board um, with support, and so it's a uh, it's a real problem. But the 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 greater problem, which was a pre-COVID problem, is uh, we just have a preacher shortage in the church, and it has it doesn't help us when there are uh, certain individuals that have. Uh, published articles and saying there's really not a preacher shortage and, and what they've done is they've called our uh, christian colleges and they say how many bible majors do you have and well those numbers are, are really high and so there was an article that came out in one of the brotherhood papers a, a couple years ago and the uh, the basis of the article was, we do not have a preacher shortage because they called all of the preacher schools, they called all of the Christian colleges, how many Bible majors, and it ended up being like five or 6,000 total. And I called the guy who wrote the article, and I said, but did you ask the question, how many of these are planning on preaching? Right. And he said, no, I, I really didn't. You
0: and serious.
3: I serious? I no, I, and I thought that would have been so logical. So I called one of the Christian colleges uh, that I'm good friends with, the head of the Bible department, and I said, All right, you guys reported that you had uh, X number of, of Bible majors. How many of those, and it was like 280, how many of those are actually planning on preaching? And he said, Two. So there's what? our problem. You know, we, we, and colleges have bible majors because that's where all the scholarships are but they they don't intend in being in full-time ministry that their bible majors to help get them through a college education but and granted there are some some are wanting to be youth ministers, some are thinking of uh you know maybe an associate minister view sure. but not really pulpit work. so that's that's one of our mm. problems for sure
1: yeah
0: Denny, that kind of leads into um, kind of set, set it up well for a question that we wanted to ask uh, as far as, let's say you've got a young man really wanting to preach, uh, you know, and with the extensive work that you've done with Bear Valley, I'm sure there is a ton of pieces of advice that you could give them, but if you had to narrow it down to just one, you got a young man wanting to preach, he's decided that's what he wants to do with his life, if you could narrow it down to one or two things as far as, in your opinion, what are the best pieces of advice for somebody who's looking to preach? Again, if you had to narrow that down to one or two, what would that be?
3: Well, if he's wanting to preach, he, he really needs to choose carefully the kind of training he's going to receive in order to go into ministry. And, uh, you know, all schools are not created equal. And obviously, I work for Bear Valley, so you're going to expect... Uh, there to be a little bit of, of prejudice um, from that perspective. But I, I will say this. Um, I'm also a graduate of uh, a Christian college with a degree in Bible. And I'm also a graduate of Bear Valley back when it was called the Bear Valley School of Preaching. And so I, I, I feel like I'm pretty objective in comparing the, the various programs and honestly, the, uh, the education you're going to get at a school of preaching like Bear Valley is so far uh, ahead of what you're going to get in a Christian college. Um, to get a, a degree in Bible, typically you need 36 hours. Uh, well, Bear Valley, our program is 132 hours, and it's all Bible and uh, Bible ministry-related uh, subjects. And so you think, well, this young man had 36 hours of Bible, and I and I taught in a Christian college for five years, so I know what Bible 101 is. And it's a survey. It's very surface, uh, as opposed to Bear Valley, which is very in-depth. And Joe mentioned uh, exegesis, which I teach. Nobody else teaches exegesis. the Christian colleges uh, certainly don't. Uh, and we'll get into that in a minute. But um, so... A young man that's wanting to preach, my first is don't don't think that uh, all schools are created equal because there's a huge, huge difference in um, uh, what you're going to get. So, uh, you know, at, at a place like Bear Valley, you do get a degree. And you say, well, I, I feel like I need to get a degree if I'm going to go into ministry. Well, that's fine. We have We offer degrees at Bear Valley. And um, also, we're free, (laughs) Um, so you're not going to saddle yourself with uh, tens of thousands of dollars of debt uh, by going to uh, a Christian college. And plus, one of the exciting things that's kind of happening now is a number of the Christian colleges are reaching out to schools like Bear Valley and saying, um, "We'll, we'll take your graduate and we'll give them X number of hours and they can transition right into our program and um that's uh it's going to save them at least two years maybe a little bit more than two years of uh, college expense so uh, that's good for them that's good for our guys uh when they graduate joe and i
1: both did that yeah works great
3: yeah um another thing too is you know i encourage the young men to to come out and look you know we will completely pay for somebody to Is interested in going to preacher school, uh, we'll fly him out to Denver and uh, we'll put them up in a hotel or have them stay with students or our faculty or somebody and, and let them get uh, a sense of what it's like. You know, we, uh, we have a thing here at Bear Valley that we call the Bear Valley experience, the BV experience. And it is something that's really hard to describe. And uh, Joe and Jack can describe it because they were part of the experience, but um it, uh, it's an, an incredible environment. You're with people of like mind that are really serious about God and the church and studying the Bible. And um, that's, that's why you come to a school like Bear Valley is because you see uh, this as a life uh, commitment that you're making. And so uh, come out and look at the school and you can I think you'll be able to tell the difference between that and a college program.
1: All right, I want to ask one more uh, kind of on this thread before we get into the Bible study questions we have lined up for you. Do you have any predictions for the next 10 years concerning the state of the church? Um, we've talked about COVID, how much that shook things up. But even before COVID, there's been movements, there's been changes. There's the missional thing 10, 15 years ago, emergent and, and all of those things. Um, COVID, of course, reshaped a lot of things, reshaped the way we're thinking things, ministry, maybe more vocational ministry. Where, where do you think things are going here in the next Ten years or so.
3: Well, you you guys who know me know that I'm uh, an optimist, uh, but in this case, I'm uh, I'm not so much. <clears throat> and here here's the reason why. Um, just probably it was like two or three weeks ago. I get a, a call from an elder in another state that they're looking for a preacher and uh, um, wanted wanted a Bear Valley man. And he said, what we really need is uh, somebody that is an evangelist. Uh, and I, I totally get what he was asking and what he's saying because he's not alone. We're producing men that are somewhat polished in the pulpit. They do a pretty decent job of preaching a sermon, teaching a Bible class. But they, they hole up in their office and that's where they spend a majority of their time uh, polishing their skills on preaching and teaching when the church, in fact, is dying. Uh, the the church needs someone to uh, be out there, get involved in the community, find people that are searching for the truth, hold Bible studies. And so uh, our focus at Bear Valley is, is actually a little bit of a shift. And that is we're focusing more on Training evangelists, not pulpiteers, and I think if if the church is going to survive, then it's going to survive because we've got men that are interested in getting out there and doing evangelistic work, becoming a part of the community. And um, you know, we're we're encouraging guys to think outside the box on on how to reach people. You know, door knocking is, uh, has become a very ineffective uh, means of reaching people. But that's one of hundreds of ways that you can find people that are searching for the truth. So anyway, in answer to the question, though, the outlook of the church is not going to be well as long as we're producing pulpiteers. But if we can get to where we're actually uh, graduating men that love evangelism, know how to get out there, and uh, meet people, then that's, that's going to be the key to church growth. And it's, just, it's not just that man doing evangelism, but teaching and encouraging the congregation. You know, we've always said, and it's not unique with us, uh, it was said long before, that uh, congregations will typically reflect the pers- personality of their preacher and if their preacher is a, a real go-getter and he's evangelistic, then the congregation is going to kind of assume that kind of mentality and uh, do the same thing. So, um, you know, there are there are men out there that are building churches, and if you, uh, you know, really get into, you know, what are you doing? They'll they're they're out there shaking the bushes and meeting people, and and so that's. Uh, that's really the answer to the question is we we need we don't need here I mean, we need guys that know how to uh, preach the truth and put it in a way that's understandable. I'm not uh, trying to uh, be critical of that, but uh, I, I feel like we've got a lot more of those guys and a lot less evangelists.
2: I think that's a really, really good point. Of We've been talking a lot about this. It's very easy for... I think preachers to kind of sit in almost like an ivory tower and discuss and debate high-minded high, high minded ideas, right, and, and deep theology, and that's fantastic. What I think we're, we're, we need to transition to and switch to is people who are willing to go out and meet the average guy. The average guy really doesn't care about eschatology that much, as much as he wants to know, you know, what do I do with my kids in this situation, or what is it? What's this God thing all about? We have to take it all the way back to the beginning because we're dealing with a world that doesn't understand God the way that it did. They're not as interested in those things. And that's such a valuable point. And, and just to piggyback off of what he was saying about Bear Valley, <coughs> Focus Press doesn't specifically support any brotherhood. I will say, Jack and I both went through Bear Valley. Will currently has his best friend, Garrett Aiken, going through Bear Valley. And, um, Obviously, we can't say enough good things about it. It its I'm very biased because I went through Bear Valley, but I've also worked with brothers from Sunset and from other great uh, great schools. And that's great. Good for them. Um, Bear Valley is just an education that I I don't think you can get elsewhere. And so I'll plug that a little bit on my own, um, even though, again, Focus Press doesn't... We're not coming out to support anybody specifically. And if we have other brothers, that's great. But um, just from our own experience, it's been a huge blessing. So with that, I want to transition into... This, this topic of Bible study that I think we've had a lot of interest shown, we've had people asking for, um, they've, they've been asking questions about it, we threw it out to our group on Focus Press, what are some questions about Bible study, got a lot of good feedback there, and so I want to jump into that and take it back to the beginning. For a brand new Christian, how should they get started in Bible study? And again, quick preface for everybody, Dr. Petrillo is, in my opinion, the foremost expert on Bible study yeah, we'll get into exegesis and ask a question about that in a sec. But um, this is this is coming from the top of the mountain, so to speak. And we appreciate you being on here for that. So for everything that he has to say, he's been from the beginning. He goes as deep as can be. He is he is uh, he reads straight out of Greek and Hebrew Bible. So this is the guy to ask questions of. Just want to throw that out there. But how should a brand new Christian get started on Bible study?
3: That that's an important question and one that a lot of people have asked me through the years. I I was doing a a a seminar on Bible study in another state. Uh, Well, again, it was just right before COVID hit, Um, and I asked the question, "How many?" And there there was like 125 people there. Uh, How many of you study study your Bible? Well, everybody raised their hands. And so I just started picking individuals out and said, tell me what you do. Well, I read. uh, Okay, what do you do? And they said, I read. And another, you know, those yearly, daily Bible reading schedules. And so I, I asked about 15 people, and they all said they read. And I said, there's our problem. There's a difference between reading and studying. And they were reading their Bibles, which is great. We need to do that. Uh, but when you take it to the next level and you study, well, a lot of people are not sure how to do that. So with a new Christian, um, first of all, I'm, I'm going to direct them to uh, Bible books that are basically written for new Christians. Uh, the Gospel of Mark is the, the, the first book that I would encourage someone to read. It's shorter. Uh, it is designed for people that, that are... I think, in that, that kind of uh, path in their Christianity. And so it's a, it's a good book to study, focusing on Jesus as the Son of God. And the disciples, they had their doubts, they had their problems, and all new Christians do as well. And so uh, looking at uh, a book like Mark to be the first book they're going to start studying and then, secondly, and this is getting into what I teach on exegesis, is the idea of uh, turning your Bible into a study Bible. And one of the ways that you do that is through Bible marking. And I know that we've talked about that some, Joe, in the past. But on our website, which is uh, www.wetrainpreachers.com, there's uh, a link a study resources. And in the study resources, uh, we've provided the the uh, the keywords for. We're, we're not done with it. All sixty six books are not there yet, but we have a lot of books. All the keywords are there. <clears throat> and then, uh, what I would encourage uh, people to do is uh, get the Crayola pencils, and then for every different word, a different color, and then start coloring your Bible uh, with those words. And what that does is, it helps us see, for example, what what are the the topics, the words that the inspired writer is mm-hmm. emphasizing, because what's going to happen is our our translators have taken the same Greek word and translated it different ways, mm-hmm. and you know I've I've got some illustrations of where the same Greek word is translated six different ways in the English. Well, there's no way that we would know that the inspired writer is using that same uh, word over and over again. Well, that, that hurts us. We want to be able to see these books the way the uh, uh, original recipient saw the book, and color-coding your Bible is going to help uh, with that. And um, <clears throat> there are, you say, well, if I color code my Bible, what do, what do I do with that? Well, I, I have two uh, kind of methods that I've developed here at Bear Valley. And I don't think I'd, I had this when you guys were here. So this is brand new stuff. You didn't, hey, all right, all right. You, you didn't think you were going to learn anything today. But, <laughs> um, but, I, but I have what I call thread words and cluster words. A thread word is one that uh, it occurs virtually in every chapter. And so it's like a thread that runs through the book, and the main ideas of that book are going to be connected to that thread. Example: Suffering in First Peter is a thread word; it occurs in every chapter. It's obviously one of the predominant ideas of First Peter. Um, and then, yeah, I have what I call cluster words that don't occur in every chapter, but there's a concentration of those words in maybe a chapter or two or three. And again, using 1 Peter as an example, uh, doing good or doing evil are two different words. Um, They're not in every chapter. They're in chapters two and three of 1 Peter. They're cluster words. So what is doing good and what is doing evil have to do with suffering? See, now we're studying. Now we haven't just read through the book, uh, which, by the way, I should have said this, Joe, early on that's the first thing you want to do as study is try to read through in one city. Hmm. And I realized that it's a, you know, some of the longer books, it's more of an investment of time, but a book, you know, like first Peter, it's, it's not going to take you, but you know, 15 minutes and you're done. Sure. Um, but we need to get a sense of the whole and we're reading we're we're treating these books like the original recipients treated it. They did not, Uh, take a chapter at a time and talk about it and we'll get back to chapter 2 next week you know they read through the whole book at once and uh, so if somebody is a new Christian was what your question uh, and we're directing them to the book of Mark well you got 16 chapters read through Mark and then um, maybe go to our website or some other place that gives you a list of keywords go back to Mark color in those keywords and try to find out what are the, the uh, kind of the thread words in Mark? Sure. What are the cluster words in Mark? And then after, after you start doing that, it's amazing the, the things that you start seeing that you are not ever going to see if you don't ever color code your Bible. And, you know, I know there are people that don't like to write in their Bibles. Um, so print it off. You can, you can get the text of the Bible uh, free online print it off or go to Walmart and buy a, a cheap $5 Bible that you don't care about marking up. <clears throat> but you you need to go through the exercise of marking mm. up a book with the keywords. And, uh, it's amazing how now you start seeing what it is that the inspired writer is uh, emphasizing there. So, Love that. Uh, that, I think that would probably be the second step, uh, uh, or maybe we're on a third step now. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, that's, that's, that's good stuff. Especially again, for somebody who might be a new Christian, that's going, I don't even really know where to start. You just gave them step one, step two. And like you said, maybe even step three, let's get into real quick exegesis. Uh, a lot of people, i uh, no doubt have heard that word. Um, but I would imagine that there's a lot of people that, you know, uh, are Christians who don't really know what that term means, let alone even know how to study exegetically. Uh, or preach exegetically for that matter. And so if you could, please explain what exegesis is for somebody who might be completely, again, they might've heard of it, but they're unfamiliar with what it means.
3: Be glad to. And I, I obviously get this question a lot because it is even now, it's still somewhat of a new concept. And there are people that are a little bit nervous about new concepts that they haven't heard of before. And they immediately want to attach a, a, a liberal uh, sticker on it and say, well, this is some new liberal way of studying the Bible. But the word exegesis is actually a Bible word. Uh, for example, in John 1.18, um, where uh, he says, no one has seen God at any time, but the only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. Well, that word explained is the word exegesis in the the Greek text. And exegesis is, if, if we break it down, it's a compound word that means to draw out or to lead out of something. And so what we're trying to do is we're getting out of the Bible text what the Bible text is saying. And so it's a a method of studying the Bible that's going to enable us to know what is the Bible text saying, not what do I want it to say, but what is it saying? And so when you put into practice exegesis, that's what's happening. You're bringing out of the text uh, what it is that the text is actually saying. And correct me if I'm wrong, Denny, that's the opposite of what we would call eisegesis, correct? Yeah. Yeah, so eisegesis means to lead into, and that's where somebody has an idea and then they want to prove that idea by forcing it into the Bible text. Uh, I, I have in my files an article that was written by a guy that says that the, the Bible actually supports abortion. What? And he's got Bible verses, and it's amazing the twisting. You know, Peter talks about twisting and distorting the scriptures to your own destruction. Well, Um, that's eisegesis. That's forcing into the Bible uh, what it is that you want want it to say. If we're truly honoring God and we want to be honest with uh, what the Bible says, there's no better method of Bible study than exegesis because you're starting with the text and you're bringing out of the text uh, what the text is saying. Now, some people also get confused. They say, well, that's just... I've heard of hermeneutics, so you're really talking about hermeneutics and say, no, you're really not. Hermeneutics is interpretation. Exegesis is where you know what it is saying, and then after you know what it says, you can get to, well, what does it mean? You can start interpreting that. And uh, so, but exegesis is a, a method of Bible study that I believe is the very best method of Bible study because it honors God, it honors His Word, and it really sends a person into uh, a, a deeper dive into all of the treasures that are found in Scripture. And so, you know, I'm obviously excited about exegesis. I've been teaching it now for a number of years, and um, it's it's been life-changing, not only for me, but, uh, you know, Joe mentioned that uh, how much it's impacted him. So, uh, it, it really is something that, and and you say, well, I'm, I'm still not sure what exegesis is practically speaking. Well, we already ta- talked about some of the initial steps of exegesis, and that is reading through a book in one sitting, color coding your Bible. But then you you start uh, breaking it down. You look at uh, what it is that the inspired writer is doing. One of the things I, I say a lot in exegesis is people say the bible doesn't have lists you know we'll say first second third we're we're list happy people and they say well the bible writers they just never gave us lists well they did they gave us lots of lists Um, the thing is we haven't trained ourselves to see how those lists are formed and so that's what i teach in exegesis is uh, looking for a series of in english ing words or words that end in ed, uh, or sometimes you'll have a list that's created with uh, a series of what are known as prepositions in Greek, uh, into, or at, or from. Well, those are all making lists, and it's important uh, for us to see those lists, because first of all, all those lists point to a main topic that's being discussed, and then the inspired writer is saying, all right, I want to make Three points about that, or I want to make four points about that. Um, you know, an, an illustration is Paul will say, "You need to walk in in Christ." Well, what does that mean exactly? To walk in Christ, or he'll say in Ephesians five, you know, "Don't get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit." Well, what does that mean exactly? Well, be filled with the Spirit is a command, and then it's followed with four ing words that explain how you uh, are filled with the Spirit. And singing, uh, you know, teaching one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing, making melody, giving thanks. A Spirit-filled person, not a Holy Spirit-filled person, not talking about Holy Spirit. He's just talking about somebody who is a genuine spiritual person is going to be one that loves to worship God, loves to sing praises to Him, loves to encourage the brethren. And that's the point. But anyway, there are a list of four uh, uh, points there that Paul is giving that describes what a spirit filled person does. Anyway, that's, that's uh, so that's interesting
0: that you, uh, that you bring that up, Denny. We're studying with our high schoolers every other Tuesday night. In fact, we have a study tonight and that's the section that we just covered. And we went over that. So just side sidebar there. That's very, very interesting. <laughs> very bring good. That up. <laughs> I want to
1: ask one we got again from our group and it, it's one I think a lot of people would have is when you say the word Greek, when you say the word Hebrew, I mean, eyes glaze over, people get intimidated like, whoa, 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 that's for you scholar people. I'm not ever going to have time to learn Greek. I'm not ever going to have time to learn Hebrew, much less both of them. And so the, the questions are, do I need it? Number one, like how, how much would it actually help me to be able to, at the very least, use the tools, to do that? And then second for the just the average christian who doesn't have time to to go through a greek course doesn't have the, the knowledge to, to break it down what are ways they can make use of it maybe books you know a website or two that have tools that you don't necessarily have to know greek to be able to to get into these things if you could just speak on on the original languages a little bit and how the average christian can make use of that and and why they should
3: well you know the the old joke that I I use at Bear Valley, and I know Jack and Joe both heard this probably too many times, but um, you know we'll say, you know, if God really wanted you to know Greek, He would have written the New Testament in Greek. Well, it's like, <laughs> oh wait, I thought He did. <laughs> um, so obviously, Greek and Hebrew are important languages to God. He chose those languages uh, to initially give us His Word, uh, and so we do need to spend some uh, time with the original languages, but we're living in the right age uh, for people that are like uh, Jack said, not not going to have time to learn Hebrew and learn Greek. But I would like to do some original language studies at some level. How can I still do that? And that's the wonder of uh, what is available on the internet. Um, I we have a, a fantastic women's program at Bear Valley, and uh, well, they're not ever going to have. You know, uh, like Logos Bible Software, which is a a program that we require the men to buy. But um, So what's available online? Well, you've got things like Blue Letter Bible, which uh, I really like. And uh, you can go to Blue Letter Bible and you can right-click on a word and it'll call up the Greek word and it will give you a basic definition of that word. Or if you're wanting to find uh, all the occurrences of a particular word in a book, um, Blue Letter Bible can help you do that. It has concordances, it has uh, lexicons, um, so uh, and it's free. It's all free. So uh, there are internet programs like that that you can you can do some really good uh, work on, and uh, so uh, that's what I would recommend. Is if if you really want to invest in the, the very best program than get Logos Bible software. As I mentioned, that's what we actually uh, are the only uh, preacher school that has a full class uh, on Logos. Uh, we have an instructor here, Michael Height, who actually is a nationally known uh, expert on Logos Bible software. Uh, he's spoken on their national conferences. And uh, <clears throat> so we've got a full class on how to learn uh, that particular software, it's, it's a magnificent tool. And so if, if you think you're going to get uh, deeper into uh, Bible study, I'd recommend Logos. But for most people, uh, things like uh, Blue Letter Bible, uh, BibleSoft, uh, there are some other programs that are either online or you can uh, spend a couple hundred dollars and get the, the software to load on your computer and and they'll help, and they are terrific helps. Uh, like I say, you you right click on a word and it immediately calls up uh, the original word and gives you the definitions, other places those words occur, and so you can you can do all of that and never know anything at all about Greek. And that's but that's good. That's the advantage of the age that we live in, and the the. Technology that's available.
2: I've heard it described like reading English as seeing something in 2D, reading it in Greek or understanding Greek or Hebrews 3D. Is that accurate? Like it just gives a, it's not that you can't understand what it is, but it gives a depth to it that you would just miss otherwise. Is that accurate?
3: Yeah, that is accurate. And um, uh, obviously Greek is not our native language. And so we do need to kind of expand. And so you'll have your English word, which it's kind of the 2D. And then you say, well, the Greek word can also mean this. And then, uh, well, it helps you just have that deeper dive. Denny, you, you brought up Blue Letter Bible, obviously,
0: um, Logos as excellent tools. Um, off the top of your head, um, are there any other tools that if somebody's asking, okay, I've got a particular topic that I want to study, or maybe I've got a specific text that I want to study? Other than Blue Letter Bible, other than Logos, if those are your top two, anything else for our listeners that that maybe are, are good things, that good resources online, good uh, tools that they could use, again, for maybe studying a specific text or studying a specific topic?
3: As far as studying a specific text, um, you know, the Brotherhood is currently putting out a commentary on the, the whole Bible. It's um, Truth for Today. Uh, I've written a number of commentaries uh, for them, and hopefully uh, Proverbs will come out this year. I've got a two-volume set on on Proverbs, and uh, so good faithful brethren that are, are sound in the Word or have been the, the authors of that series, and so uh, Truth for Today, you can go to resource publications online and uh, get information on that series if someone is willing to invest in a hard copy uh, Bible, but if um, uh, if you're wanting to study a word, then um, again, I think some of the things that are available that are free online would be uh, really your best your best tool. They have a thing that's called public domain. Public domain is where uh, the copyright on a particular book is no longer in effect. And so uh, these people can basically reproduce those things free of charge. And that's what Blue Letter Bible is. It's got a lot of really super good resources, uh, both word study resources and commentaries that um, are free. Uh, And they are some of the older, uh, granted they're denominational, but back in the day that generally they were conservative like, Uh, Albert Barnes and Clark and some of those guys. Um, So you have access to uh, some of those uh, commentary type sets. But as far as anything that's being produced right now, uh, the truth for today is uh, something I would recommend.
2: What are your thoughts on like Strong's Concordance, Vines? A lot of people say that for Bible study. I don't personally use that just because I feel like we talk about proof texting, right? And going outside of it. But I am curious your thoughts on those as Bible study tools.
3: Um, you know, I, we've had some guys come kind of to Bear Valley that they called themselves after they, they went through our program concordance preachers. And uh, so they're going to preach a sermon on love. And so they brought out their, their youngs or their strongs and they got all the love passages that they um, never even consider context at yeah. all. You're just, uh, well, so I'm, I'm not a big fan of Uh, youngs and strongs for things like that but uh, for people that are wanting to find all the occurrences of a word in a book uh, those are not going to give you every single one um, because they're all based on the English uh, for the most part but uh, it's still a a good tool and it also is something that I recommend you know we talk about um, the average member of the church they're they're not going to be the the, sure. the professionals, but they want to, they want to have in their library things that are going to help them. Uh, I recommend Young's and Strong's for people like that, but I kind of walk them through, this is how I would use this, uh, tool. And, you know, someone is saying, well, you know, we're seeing a word that Paul is using here. I wonder, did Paul use that word anywhere else in some other books? And well, you can go to Young's and Strong's and you can sure. get that Uh, that question answered and uh it'll also help you if you want to go back to what's called the etymology of a word its background Uh, what what was the hebrew equivalent and you know we talk about the word grace charis in the new testament in greek well what was the old testament word to that and you know what how how was that word used in the old testament well some of these tools will help you with that and it's it is yeah, very helpful. Yeah, good stuff.
2: So for those, you've already touched on this some, so I don't want to spend too much time on, on this necessarily. Um, there are those that are are very much into highlighting. Very good. You've already referenced that, right? You know, pull out the pencils. Um, my Bible looks like a coloring book in certain places from, from exactly that. But I am curious. You mentioned the lists. What other things might be the next step? So let's say we got some intermediate. We talked about the beginner and we talked about fantastic steps read through the book you know you mentioned you briefly just mentioned. think about the context right we keep mark in mark it's easy to go outside to Matthew and things like that and and mark is written for a purpose right so we stay inside you highlight you're looking at lists what's the next step for the intermediate Bible student who doesn't necessarily know Greek and can't get into like the much deeper but who wants to go a little beyond just highlighting and, and looking at lists is there a medium kind of an in-between
3: approach there that you would recommend Well, structure, I think, is um, something that is kind of an intermediate part of exegesis. And um, I did a a seminar on exegesis in California uh, a couple years back, and um, there were two 80-year-old women that came to the class, and I'm thinking... It wasn't the only class available, it was a lectureship. And I, I'm thinking, maybe you ought to be in one of the, <laughs> But they said, no, we want to be in an exegesis. Uh-huh. And uh, so you know, it was four days, uh, and one of the things that I was talking about was looking for a, a way to structure a text. Sure. And so the I came back the very next year, and both of those ladies came up, and they could not wait to show me their Bibles that had been marked up and the list that they had found. And, and I thought, you know, even an 80 year old uh, women can uh, do this kind of study. They were so excited, but they wanted kind of affirmation or confirmation that (laughs) that their lists were right. And they were right. They had done uh, such a terrific job of of, uh, kind of color coding their Bible and finding, uh, finding those lists. But part of the, the more, uh, I think advanced part of Bible study that still falls in the intermediary uh, category is word studies. Mm. Um, so, you know, we we have and some people don't like this terminology, but these church words, you know, once we leave the church building, how many people really understand righteousness, really understand grace, really understand well, I mean, some of our words like propitiation and initiation, I mean, some of the, sanctification. Uh, sanctification, you know, outside of this building. These are and a lot of times pe- inside the building, people sure. don't know. So, you know, I, I recommended that um, uh, they do some some study of some of these Bible terms. And it was, you know, uh, one particular guy said that was life changing for me. You know, I I heard the word righteousness my whole life, but really never had a chance to like study the word, and and so that um, uh, that's something that would be very helpful, and and I and I make the point based on passages like Second Timothy three sixteen, is all Scripture is inspired of God. The word Scripture is a Greek word grafe, grafe means that which is written down. And so Paul is making a remarkable claim about the Bible, it not that, that God has spoken, but not he has spoken and what he has said has been recorded in writing. And so why do we spend extra time and attention looking at a particular word? Because that's God's word. Right. He wanted that word used there. Mm. And so you say, well, why did he want that word uh, there? There that's you the study. go yeah yeah so there's a good study on that and uh, again that's part of exegesis and respecting God the best way that we know how to respect him and that's paying attention to the particulars the, uh, details, the, yeah. the way the, the words he, cho- he chooses, the way it's organized or structured and you know another thing too kind of answering your question is <clears throat> thinking about genre. Uh, that's that's important uh, because the Bible is written in different styles of writing, sure. uh, like the Old Testament. You'll have law, you'll have history, you'll have poetry, you'll have prophecy. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, what's the difference a Bible student is going to ask between uh, poetry and law, uh, or poetry and prophecy? And in the New Testament, we have the Gospels, we have Acts, we have epistles, we have sure. Revelation. Uh, so uh, with Revelation. How am I going to interpret that as opposed to one of the epistles of uh, Paul to, to the Corinthians? So, so that's uh, that's a little bit more of a complex uh, question, but it's very important because there is a difference. Um, you know, poetry, <clears throat> even in the Bible, has poetic license. You can exaggerate in poetry. You can climb a city or, you know, the, 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 the righteous, you know, their road is a highway well, you know, that may not always be the case. And you ask righteous people, uh, they feel like they've had some thorns in their in their road too. But, uh, but that's that's a kind of uh, poetic uh, license that is given that the inspired writers like Moses in Exodus would never yeah. would never use.
2: I think that comes it, that is really important when it comes into like studying Calvinism, and they would go to Psalm fifty one, right, and say. From my mother's womb. And, and they go, well, that speaks to original sin. That speaks to he's saying he's sinful from the very beginning. And it's exactly to your point that's in a poetic sense of he's saying, man, I've been I've been a sinner from the beginning type of thing. But they're basing an entire theology off of misunderstanding genre, I think. And so that speaks to the importance of why getting genres right. And even as you referenced Revelation, that being apocalyptic, if you're reading Revelation as though you read Acts, which is a historical book, that's a big mistake too, right? Right. Because it's... That's not history per se that's writing about apocalyptic
1: things that that are difficult. So I think
2: that's a a fantastic point.
1: So I I emailed emailed you, if I can get that word out of my mouth, I emailed you a a year or two ago about bigger books. Uh, The exegesis thing, like I love exegeting Philippians. Four chapters, you can really dig in, you can read through the whole thing, you can really get a sense of it, and then you go to Matthew, you go to Isaiah, you go to Acts or something, and it's just this humongous piece of literature and you know how and, and your answer was great and so I kind of wanted to share it with our listeners as well how do you break down something like that into bite-sized pieces and and really the question I had I think was do you do inside out where you study verse by verse and then put together a big picture or do you do outside in where you kind of get a broad sense of what the book is about and then read the verses with that broader understanding
3: I recommend that you you start with the thirty thousand foot uh, view at the outside end. Um, you need to get a provisional sense of what the what is this book about. Um, you know, like you use Matthew as an illustration. All right, you got twenty eight chapters. It's it's a big book. Uh, there's a lot there, and so if if I'm going to study Matthew, I want to ask the question. Generally speaking, what is going on here? What is this book all about? And why do we have four gospels? Well, the answer is because all of them are trying to focus on different aspects of the life and ministry of Jesus. And so, you're not going to assign the same purpose of Luke as you are to Matthew. And so, what Luke is doing is for the Gentile mind it's going to appeal to people that didn't grow up with the Old Testament. Matthew is the most Jewish uh, uh, book in the New Testament. Lots of Old Testament quotations. He's trying to convince a Jew about Jesus. Well, knowing those little tidbits of information before you actually dig into a book is is really helpful because now you're you're going to kind of see uh, what the inspired writer is doing, why he's approaching it, the way he's approaching it, and. Uh, You know, if you already went through and read through Matthew in one sitting uh, and you color-coded your Bible, you're automatically going to see, like in Matthew, two areas that Matthew is emphasizing, kingdom and father. Okay, why? Well, that's the right question. Uh, Why is the inspired writer emphasizing those two areas? And then you can start... uh, answering those questions from the text itself and they're amazing questions and you walk away with a, a really uh, a much better understanding of the book but anyway the idea of get get this sense of the whole book first and then uh, you start narrowing it down and ultimately if uh, what people are going to do in their personal Bible study is they're going to have one section that they're really going to l- look at well, you need to know how that section is going to fit in the chapter, in that chapter, in the book, and and so on. So, uh, if you have that thirty thousand foot view, you you're you've already seen the forest. Now you're going to look at the trees. Uh, I think that's a better a better way of studying. So it's still imperative for them to read like all sixty six chapters
2: of Isaiah one. So maybe pick a weekend or something. It might take you a little longer, but they still need to do that. Correct?
3: Yeah, and. You, You know, I call it cheating, although it's really not. But, you know, there are some amazing programs that you can get, including some free online Bible reading. And you don't necessarily have to sit at a desk and read, but you can listen to it. And if, uh, you know, if you're going on a trip, get the Bible on CD and listen to it. Uh, You can get, you know, actors, you can get Johnny Cash, you can get (laughs) Mr. T. Uh, um, reading the Bible text. I saw
1: James Earl Jones the other day, and, and having Darth Vader read it to you is just a little weird. <laughs> it's too much. It's a
3: little bit weird. Um, but uh, I kept waiting for Mister T to say, um, "Repent, be baptized, you fool." <laughs> but, um. So, uh, but you know, I'll I'll make a trip to Durango, seven hour uh, trip. Well, you can listen to, uh, well, seven or eight New Testament books uh, in that amount of time. And uh, what I like to do is I like to actually have it playing and I'm following along in my text. Mm -hmm. And you know, people say that the, the best learning is incorporating all of your senses. And so you're using your eyes and your ears. Uh, to uh, to study and that's always a good good thing so
1: so now that's not while you're driving right <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, not recommended
2: while you're while you're driving then you get a Braille Bible and you go through and you get three senses at once and you' going know, be
3: good. Yeah be good. we actually have some Braille Bibles if someone needs one I'll give I'll send it to you for free oh, well. yeah. Good stuff. So Denny, the, the next
0: question, and I think it might be one of our last questions that we have to get to is one that I'm particularly very curious about, and it 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 surrounds Bible versions. And I've actually got two parts down. I really have a three-part question, so I'll try to, to ask those as concisely as I can for you to answer. The first question is, what criteria should a person use to pick a good Bible version? So I'll have you answer that. The second one, are there any translations that we should basically completely avoid um you know are there any translations that you know and that popular ones i know there's there's some that are very obscure i'm not talking about those i'm talking about ones that people use quite a bit are there any of those that we should 100 percent avoid and tell other people to avoid and then i guess the third part is this is just for me personally you kind of said that you know we're lists obsessed society for the most part that's me i love lists i would love to hear your top five as far as from the greek with, with all your knowledge they're from the hebrew What are your top five, top three, maybe, as far as Bible translations that are accurate, that are the best ones that we should be using? So I know that's really long. That's three questions there. Feel free to take them one by one.
3: Okay, very good question and very pertinent uh, because we've got so many choices today uh, with Bibles. Um, What to avoid uh, as far as the translations as a whole are translations done by one guy, uh, stay away from those. And the the reason, a lot of times, is the the one guy uh, like uh, the Living Bible paraphrase, Kenneth Taylor, uh, not a Greek expert, not a Hebrew expert. Um, and uh, well, the, when we understand the way Bible translations are done, there there are committees of scholars, and those scholars will work on a text. They'll discuss a text. They'll be exchanged back and forth on uh, the best way that that text should be translated. Uh, it really helps in eliminating uh, bias and doctrinal prejudice uh, because the the good translators recognize that everybody comes to the translating table with a background, with a history, uh, and there there might be some doctrinal prejudices that... They're not trying to introduce into a translation, but they do. But So you've got some checks and balances that go on uh, within the translating committees. And so uh, I, I, major translations uh, is what you need to start off with. Translations to avoid, though. Um, first of all, all paraphrases. Uh, you need to stay away from those. Uh, although, I'll use a paraphrase just to see how um you know they maybe they've got a kind of a unique take on the sort of like uh, a commentary maybe well like it really is like you use it in a, that way very much like a commentary said okay that's an interesting way of of rendering that they're not really trying to translate um now we have a problem i think uh, as far as translations, the number one best-selling translation in the world, especially in the United States, is um, the NIV, the New International. Uh, It has been number one now for uh, a number of years, and it it seems to be growing in popularity. But I don't recommend it. As a matter of fact, uh, when people ask like you have, um, I'll say, stay clear of the NIV. And here's why. The NIV has a uh, translating philosophy that's called dynamic equivalent. Dynamic equivalent is just a term that means, all right, you read what it says in the original, and then you say, all right, basically, what is it that we think Paul is saying here? And then that's what you put in, in your Bible. So it's not a translation of words. It's where the translating committee is basically taking the general idea and then uh, putting it in um, uh, their own words. So when I'm doing my, my exegesis seminars and I'm having people uh, keyword a Bible, I typically take First Peter as my example. The NIV guys are very frustrated. And the reason is because they can't keyword their Bible in NIV. It's not going to work. And the reason is because the NIV is not trying to translate the words. Um, they're just giving you a general sense of what they think the inspired writer is saying. And so I, I know I'm going after the number one Bible and the Bible that a lot of people have, but I, I strongly discourage uh, the use of the NIV. And uh, it's, it's a nightmare as far as exegesis is concerned. And plus, they just didn't do a good job of translating a number of passages uh, accurately. Um, so, and kind of uh, getting to your third question, uh, my, my top Bibles are the, uh, the New American Standard, uh, the um, 95 update. I'm in the process of studying the, the one that just came out. Uh, the New American Standard, uh, the NAS-20, uh, they're calling it. But um, so far, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of 50-50 on it. But the 95 update, I believe, uh, is uh, the, the best translation that we have available. <clears throat> it's, um, it's overall very conservative. Uh, the translating committee... I think did a very good job of actually translating the Hebrew and Aramaic and Greek. Second, and this will probably surprise some people, uh, would be the New King James. Uh, The New King James does the best job of any English translation um, of consistently translating the same word the same way. Now, they're not perfect in that. They do a better job of that with... Than the New American Standard does, but um, the New King James takes the King James, and then they all the words that were antiquated in the King James that no longer meant today what they meant in sixteen eleven are brought into modern uh, words. Words, and so uh, New I'm, King James. I'm- I'm really glad you got that
0: one high on your list because that's the one that I use. So, oh, all right, there <laughs> good, you go. But the enough. NAS yes. is
2: higher. So just
0: remember. <laughs> okay, that well. Joe. All right.
3: <laughs> um, probably NIV uh, would be. I mean, the uh, the ESV <laughs> would be third. Um, the ESV the most, most people sure. is um, a lot of people don't know it, it's just a revised standard regurgitated. Uh, the ESV is about ninety percent. Uh, just exactly uh, the RSV, and uh, so. But the RSV uh, was a good translation. It just never was able to replace uh, the King James, which was their stated goal. But um, the uh, the ESV uh, is good. Some of the other ones, the 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 Holman uh, Christian Standard, uh, some of those are they're okay as a maybe a secondary Bible source. But I'd really encourage your listeners to do something here's really out of the box um but there's um a literal okay let me um let me see if I can remember the literal bible ah boy uh it's free and it's online uh modern literal version ml yeah that's it uh, mlv uh, so you can get modern liter- literal version um and uh, they what they have done is their philosophy from from the get go was exactly i think the right one and that is consistently translating the same word the same way uh and really honoring the, the biblical languages the best they can and, um, uh, they had actually have, have reached out to me uh, because they had heard that I the, the way I approach a study of translations is I, I have a list of about 85 verses that I'm whenever a new version comes out, I'm going my first thing is I'm going to look at those 82, 85 verses. Well, they asked if I had done that with the modern literal, and I had. And they said, well, what's your take on it? And I said, well, I think you guys did well here, but uh, I think you messed up here. And, well, they took what I said, gave it to their uh, translators, and the translators said, this guy's right. And so they changed it. No way. Um, And (laughs) so it's an online Bible. It's constantly fluid. And um, so I made about... I don't know thirty or thirty-five recommendations, and they changed all of it. No way. Uh, so I thought, well, that's pretty cool. That's amazing. Um, that's but awesome. so, uh, if they really want to get the most literal thing out there, that that's where to go. Modern literal literal version.
2: That is so cool. We just I just pulled it up online on my phone, and that's okay. first thing and. Yeah, it says um, even in their tagline for Google, modern literal version was created for those who truly want to know what God's Koiné Greek Bible says, but cannot read it directly. That's incredible. Yeah, I there not you know go. That. I've heard you say before. I'm trying to remember. It's a while back. Revised Standard Version is technically the most literal or best version for Old Testament. Is that true? Is that is that what I, am I remembering that right? Yeah, you okay. are.
3: Yeah, and the reason is because they they approached it in the right way, I think, and that is. <clears throat> they incorporated uh, Jewish experts to do the Old Testament. Hebrew is their first language. And, you know, it's one thing for a guy like me to translate Hebrew when it's not my first language. Uh, But these guys grew up with Hebrew. They've been studying the Hebrew scriptures their whole life. Um, And so the RSV... uh, they took those Hebrew scholars to do the Old Testament, and then they got Greek scholars to do the New Testament. Those guys didn't do that, and so the the RSV is real strong on the Old Testament. And uh, so I, whenever I'm going to study the Old Testament, I'm going to do the you have an RSV handy.
2: Good stuff. Yeah. Jack, I think you had one more question if time allows. Um, I was very curious about this one, so I'm going to kick you off on that, and then I think we're going to wrap up here if you got some
1: time. All right. So what are your thoughts on, it's a form of exegesis, but it's a very weird one, a symbolic exegesis. I don't know if you're familiar with uh, James B. Jordan, Peter Lightheart, anyone in that uh, strain. It's very niche, but, you know, um, I'm trying to think of an example. Um, Things where Old Testament reference, really reading deeply into every... Geographical location, every, you know, the the type of tree mentioned, you know, goes back to okay, the tabernacle was constructed with that same type of tree. It gets really weird and there's a lot of it where I'm like, there's no way that's right. And there's a lot of it where it's like, that's pretty interesting. And so I, I feel like it's one of those at the very least, you need to know the rules before you break the rules, kind of thing. On the other there's things that you read and it's like, I don't think that's a very valid way of of studying the Bible. And so what are your thoughts on kind of the symbolic reading exegesis not because when you say symbolic i don't mean the people who look at like revelation and go oh that's about ukraine but people who are like connecting things across the bible like that does does that make sense
3: yeah i think so and um one of the things that has kind of grown in popularity over the last uh 50 or 60 years is things like the bible code um, people are, are looking for hidden meetings. That, you know, they're counting every seventh letter, and and it forms a, a, a hidden message. You know, seven is the number of uh, perfection, so every seventh character. I mean, wow. and, uh, you know, these people are saying, um, if, if you study Genesis 1 and you count every seventh letter, it predicts the, um, the crucifixion of Christ. And it's like, I've never really looked at that. <laughs> I've, I've had people that have said that. Um, And then, uh, Jack, some of what you're getting at is uh, people have looked for, and this is still kind of a, I don't know if this is what you're seeing, but kind of a Bible code when you're looking at um, the, you mentioned the different kinds of of wood, the, the numbers that are used. Ezekiel 40 through 48, for example, has measurements. Uh, and we, we don't know exactly what that measurement is. It's a Hebrew word that's been lost on exactly the precise uh, inches that we're talking about. But they've taken those numbers and they've formulated it and, uh, and supposedly it predicts every event that took place in the intertestamental uh, period. But <clears throat> I, to me... I I think we're chasing after something that Satan is ultimately going to be happy with because it's just getting you away from repent and be baptized. I mean, the simplicity of the gospel and what a person needs to do in order to become a part of the family of God, uh, we can get lost in, in so many other things. And it's been my experience too that what some of these guys are doing actually becomes discouraging to people. You know, the Gnostics were... A, uh, a sect um, that promoted false doctrine in the uh, basically the second century A.D., but the word Gnostic comes from the Greek gnosis, it means knowledge, and they claim to have a higher knowledge that you had to become a part of their elite club in order to really have that that knowledge, and that's what I'm seeing with the Bible code and some of uh, what some of these guys are doing is. They're looking at Bible text and kind of coming up with things that ultimately is going to discourage people.
2: So what are your thoughts on, you know, some, and I guess this might be symbolism. I was preaching on Jonah recently. Jonah goes to Joppa, right, to get on a, on a boat. We see Peter in Joppa in Acts 10, right before Cornelius. So Jonah goes to Joppa and runs away from the Gentiles. Peter's in Joppa, he runs toward the Gentiles. You know, symbolism like that, what are your thoughts on that, or even on on a bigger level, I guess, the Exodus coming out of Egypt, foreshadowing the Exodus for us coming out of sin, some of that symbolism, do you deal much with that type of stuff where it's not Bible code-esque as much as what you're saying, but more of like just looking at, well, Joppa is, is, we see it twice in the Bible or whatever, and we see it where he's running from Gentiles and toward Gentiles. Do you believe there's something there, or is that kind of nitpicking
3: um, I believe there's something there, okay. and and to me that's that's different than what I was talking about as far sure. as the Bible sure. code. Um, some some of the ideas, like the Exodus, you know, we talk about the uh, the Old Testament foreshadows, or or you've got type any type uh, things in the Bible. That's a fact. Uh, the it's clear Galatians four, you know, there are types and any types in the Bible, and so when we're looking at um, the Exodus, and I, I find it interesting, Joe, that like on the Transfiguration you got Elijah and Moses that are there. Uh, well, when you look at Luke's account of that Transfiguration, it says they're he's talking to Moses about Jesus's Exodus. Mm. Well, that's pretty cool. That's really cool. Uh, you know. So we're going to talk about the the Exodus guy in the Old Testament, and Jesus is talking about his Exodus and. So I think there's stuff like that that uh, does happen in the Bible, and um, the, the Exodus from sin sure. is, uh, and certainly something you know Paul is is going to align uh, how circumcision is a removal, cutting away the flesh. while our baptism is a cutting away of our sin, sure. and so you you've got some of these I don't know links or parallels that that happen in Scripture.
2: Good stuff. Good stuff. With that, fellas, any other questions? That I think that wraps up our list. Do you have any thoughts for us? Anything you like to I,
3: I thought we were going to get into the theological implications of incipient Gnosticism. Were we not? going we not? Gonna...
1: <laughs> that's that's the next episode. We're gonna we're gonna have it back for that one. Yeah. <laughs>
3: oh, okay, okay. Look, I'm sure everybody will be drawn to that episode. Again. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. Exactly.
1: That that title is just going to pop yeah i I just want to thank you again for coming on uh you put up with four years of me and joe and still were kind enough to talk to us again so that you're a good man
3: yeah you guys are my ticket to heaven god says you're gonna put up with those guys
1: (laughs) fair enough my parents are right there with you
3: (laughs) yeah yeah no kidding by the way i I, we saw you at the Az game the other night jack did you hear How about that? was that, What, was, what that? was that? The, I mean, that footage was nine
1: years old, and there I go walking across the screen. Yeah. It was great.
3: That was unbelievably funny. Everybody
2: said, yeah, we saw Jack at the Abs game. I got hockey buddies texting me being like, is this
1: your brother? Is he back in town? Like, no, they apparently use old footage on their, on their
2: stuff.
3: Which I didn't know. Did you know I that? Did,
1: I, did, I didn't, I didn't either. I'm, I'm sitting a 1,000 miles away in Dallas watching it on my TV and watch, watching myself walk by across the TV. Yeah. So <laughs> <that. laughs>
2: just too great. funny. That that's, that's,
3: that's an amazing story. But. Anyway, but thank you so much uh, you for your time. Thank I appreciate you, for you guys. I really do. I appreciate what you're doing. You're making a difference and you're helping that. a lot of people. So, you know, Godspeed on that. We really appreciate that. Thank
2: appreciate you so you. much. Thank you. With that, we are going to wrap up this episode. And for our listeners, if you do have other, other questions, Obviously, we're in contact with uh, Dr. Petrillo. We can talk to him about some of these other things if questions arise. I think this was a really, really good start to that. So, um, But thank you for listening, and we will catch you next week.